Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hey guys, this is Fei Wu and welcome to Phase World Podcast Livestream. We have been live streaming these conversations with our guests because they're so brave. They're my guinea pigs and I absolutely love it. So if you want to follow us live, which means before you hear these edited episodes, definitely find me, connect with me on social media everywhere under FaceWorld, F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. So let's talk about today's guest. His name is Todd Churches, and he recently wrote this book called Visual Leadership with just one L in the middle. And what is this book about? It's about leveraging the power of visual thinking, leadership, and in life. So that's right. It doesn't matter if you're a C-suite person, a senior manager, or you are a mom, dad, brother, and sister. You know, this is a book with methodologies and, you know, really clear thinking that's going to benefit you in life as well. So um, Todd is a professor, by the way, because um, that, you know, he has taught in NYU, which is New York University, and Columbia leadership classes, as well as his corporate workshops, where uh, he asks participants to call out the first word that comes to mind when they hear the word leadership. And so many people immediately blurt out vision. And when asked to define what they mean in the context of leadership, it tends to be all about a leader having a mental image of the future, a picture that only they can see of an idealized future state that is different from and better than the current reality. Now, this book, uh, you know, has a lot of graphs because it's visual leadership. You know, I do recommend that you get the physical book. There is a Kindle version as well. So uh, metaphorically, uh, I actually asked my partner, Adam, whether he was listening to the audiobook, And he pretty much made fun of me and said, come on, you know, this is about visual leadership. So what I love about this book is that you can approach, you know, work and life challenges through the lenses of a few things, which I consider as the framework and the foundation of the book and Todd's teaching. And these lenses are visual imagery, mental models and frameworks, metaphor and analogy, and visual storytelling. Todd breaks down what he means by each and how you can get started any given day. And what I realized that quite funny after this conversation I had and co-hosted with Adam Lefford is that, you know, Adam and I started to talk about Phase World, Livestream, YouTube, with visual storytelling. In fact, because I was in the process of purchasing a home, you know, at some point I had questions for interests and interest rate and mortgages. And it was so helpful to be able to break that down and visualize it by picking up a pen, not trying to be perfect, and draw that out. And visual thinking and visual practicing 
in my opinion, it's just so helpful. You know, I, I'm not sure about you guys, but as a creative entrepreneur, and you don't have to be a creative entrepreneur to do this, uh, any business or side hustle that you have, you will find that really interesting and easy to plan things out. So right here in my office, when I'm recording this intro, right behind me, there's a whiteboard. And I just love the process to buy a whole bunch of really colorful markers and be able to plan my week, my day, my week, my month, my quarter, my year. And I go through that exercise, you know, regularly. And sometimes I run out of room. And what I do is I, I try to you know take a picture before I raise the board or I look to my right. I have a lot of these three end paper that you put on the wall. If you have ever worked in corporate America or corporate in general, you know, there's a lot of those markers and paper on the wall. And I have integrated that into my home office and I absolutely love. For me, drawing things out, writing things out, and then visualize them is just at the core of what I need to do. And in fact, whenever I feel chaotic or uh, running out of time and, you know, uh, or, or strategic thinking, um, I really tend to exercise that, write things out. And this book will give you structures and ideas and things that you can leverage. And trust me, it's going to make you not just sound smart, but act really smart and be very uh, action-oriented at work. So check it out. And I can't wait to hear uh, your feedback. And um uh, I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and there's a lot of energy in the room um, between all of us, all three of us. If you like this format, please do let me know. I look forward to hearing from you. If you're using Anchor, where we're hosting this podcast, please know that you can drop a message directly, You know, drop a voicemail and I will get that and or give me some reactions. So I'll see you at the end of the episode. And without further ado, please welcome Todd Churches to the Face World Podcast live stream. I'm really excited to be here with my author friend, Todd. Todd, I didn't confirm your name. is Churches, correct? Churches, yes. Just like more than one church. So, yes. <laughs> So here with Todd, um, as you can see that behind him, that's his newly released book called The Visual Leadership. I have a copy right here with some of my notes, got wow. a lot of questions, um, sure. but I'm also here with my co-host, Adam Leffert, who is a freelance C-sharp.net web developer, uh, has done a lot with me here at FaceWorld Media. Uh, we're live streaming now on Facebook, both on my personal page, my company page, also uh, Twitter slash Periscope, um, my new YouTube channel focused on these conversations. So, well, welcome, Todd. Welcome, Adam. Hey, thank you so much. Great to be here with you. All right. So, um, Todd, I'm, I'm excited that you wrote this book, had a lot of fun reading it. And the one thing that jumped right out at me is you thanked your lovely wife, your parents, <laughs> And thanked for a lot of horrible bosses. And you even dedicated that chapter. And I inevitably just have to flip right to that thing, which is so eye-catching is a love letter to all your horrible bosses. I hope they're watching this. Uh -huh. And if not, I hope you share. And uh, uh, I'm excited. But why, why did you uh, want to thank them? Stood out right um, away. Well, I try to put a positive spin on a horrible negative experience or many of them in my life. But um, to be honest, without those horrible bosses, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. And I probably wouldn't have all the, the stories that I use in my classes and workshops and, and, and in the book. Um, yeah, I mean, 
most people are thrown into management positions without any training, right? So you're the best sales guy or saleswoman, you're the head of sales. You're the new, you're the, you're the top IT person, you're the head of IT now. It's a completely different skill set, as you know, to manage and lead people versus to actually do the job. So um, mm -hmm. Harvard did a study years ago. They found that most people get their first management type of role when they're like in their late 20s, maybe early 30s, but they don't, quote, earn the right to go through any kind of leadership training or development or coaching until they're in their 40s. You know, you need to earn that. So what does that say about people managing and leading in their 20s and 30s? They're just winging it, right? And most mm -hmm. people manage the way they were managed. And so you, you're, you're, it's like parenting, right? If you're a parent, you just parent the way you were parented. There's no really master's degree in parenting, right? So, um, and because of that, there's so many people who literally do not know what to do. So when I was first mm -hmm. a boss, I, I figured, oh, now it's my turn to, you know, now, I, to boss people around, basically, right? Tell them what to do. So um, I learned the hard way that uh, having a bad boss can really make your life very miserable. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think we've all been there. And that's yes. why, you know, this message resonated with so many people. But what I also love about your book, the way you structure that is you have sort of this exercise and reflection at the end of each chapter. And I read what you wrote down besides the love letter is what did you learn from your best bosses? What did you learn from some of the worst ones? And there was a section that was really touching to me because years ago I did the same thing, which is having a, you know, a, a horrible boss log that you can track yeah. on a daily basis because I was instructed by one of my supervisors to do that. And I said, okay, who is this for? Is it, who do I show it to? He's like, nope, you don't show it to anybody. It's just for you. And it's just fascinating to be able to reflect on that. And like you said now, and by the way, I welcome you to use me as a, as a, a guinea pig or whatever during this conversation as you choose to, um, because I noticed one thing about how I lead, you know, in front of a very small organization here at Phase Rural Media, how I talk to people, how I interact with them, including my virtual assistant, my producer slash editor based in Sweden, you know, working with Adam as well, uh, to realize that what I need to do and how to have that conversation. Yeah, when you've had bad bosses... One of the chapters I wrote in my book is about the boss who threw a box of pens at my head because they were the wrong ones. And that's a story that always resonates with people because they're like, I can't believe you, you actually experienced that. And one day after like, I started keeping this log of my abuse log um, just to document it just as a sanity check. And like you were saying, keeping a journal is something I, I advise all my students and coaching clients to do. Write things down, get the ideas out of your head and onto paper. One, it's cathartic and it's clarifying, but also to look back on, on your journey and see where you've come from and how you've grown and questions, answers, thoughts, ideas. Um, but I once confronted my boss, I went into her office and I said, because I was having a nervous breakdown, I literally said, you know, if we could communicate better and I really want to do a good job and if we could just communicate better and get along, I would be more productive, you would be happier. And she said, and, and I quote, um, quit whining, you little bitch, get back to, when I had your job, I was treated like shit and now it's your turn. And if you don't like it, I can replace you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So... How do you deal with that, right? It's like, that's, I mean, that's the direct quote. It's embedded in my memory because it was so like, I thought she would say, oh, thank you for talking with me. I would love that. Let's meet. It was the exact opposite of that. And this one boss, the irony of when I had that interview, and I won't mention what TV network that was at, but it has a C, a B, and an S in its title, but I won't name it. Um, <laughs> and, I, I, and I won't name my boss. Um, but I left that interview saying, and I was single at the time, I said, I don't know if I met my new boss or my wife, because this woman is unbelievable. She's amazing. And then I got hired and I was so excited. One week later, my life was a living hell. So um, 
you know, you just never know. Because mm-hmm. one of the metaphors I use, and we'll talk about metaphors shortly, is the iceberg, right? When you first meet someone, it's just the tip of the iceberg and you're making first impressions based on what you see. It's not until you dive beneath the surface and you see what's down there that you really discover the truth. And the truth was she was not a good person and a hor- and she was a horrible boss. So, mm-hmm. but you know, you live and learn. And I learned a lot. And she gave me many stories to, uh, to tell all these years <laughs> later. Yeah. Adam, have you had bad bosses? I definitely have. While you were talking about that, I was thinking as a, as a software developer and architect, it's a little bit different. Um, I don't want to distract the conversation to talk too much about the tech world. I'll say briefly, and then I do have some questions. Frankly, in the tech world, it's about not micromanaging. As I always think about bad bosses, yeah, some were just bad people, but really the vast majority is people trying to direct little details that they don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. But more as far as shared experience goes, bringing it back to that, I was kind of waiting for you to talk more about the book, uh, which having read is, of course, about how to be successful at work, but also how to be joyful. So yeah. one of the questions that came up as I read the book is, you know, you, you talk about not only how to succeed, how to be happy while you're at work, but have you seen visual leadership used either for emotional intelligence or in personal relationships? Do you have any experience or mm. thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, we all have a vision of how we want our life to be. In fact, years ago, I went through a workshop at a company where we actually, they brought in like hundreds of magazines of all types. We literally had to rip pictures out of the magazines and create a collage of our life. You know, what kind of house did you want? What kind of relationships do you develop? What kind of dog do you picture? Like, how do you picture your wife, your life? Freudian slip, how do you picture your wife? Um, but it's like, what was your, what's your vision of the future, right? And then if you don't have a vision, like how do you make it, your dreams come true, right? So it's like some people go about their life just, which is fine, it's not judgmental, but you just take things one day at a time. But I think a lot of us uh, have a picture of how we want things to be, you know, a, a world. Um, if you think about, le- as it relates to leadership, when you talk about leadership, and when I'm doing this in workshops, I'll say, what's the first word you come, that comes to your mind when you hear leadership? And the word vision tends to come up, if not first, top three. And what does it mean to have a leadership vision? What does it mean when you say someone like a Steve Jobs or an Elon Musk is a visionary leader? They see the future in a way, right? They have a picture in their mind's eye, which is a term uh, coined by Shakespeare and Hamlet. In their mind's eye, they picture a future that is different from and better than the current reality. And the classic example of that is Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, right? He didn't say, I have a PowerPoint presentation. I have an Excel spreadsheet. I have a 500-page strategy plan. He said, I have a dream, right? So we all have a dream. And uh, it's about making our dream a reality. And that's what visual thinking starts with, is about how do you picture the future and then how do you make that future a reality? And that's in our personal life, but also in our work life. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I I think the reflection, I was just thinking, uh, you talk about learning from your own mistakes. People talk a lot about learning from their own mistakes, but also I think that you can observe uh, mistakes from from others as well. Leadership is a great example. But uh, as I was reading the book, I all of a sudden remember the most current event I'm experiencing is house shopping. I'm touring a lot of homes, a lot of open uh, open houses. And it's it's an experience that you know, growing up in China, uh, and I know you're familiar with that. Your story is oh. amazing. We got to get to that. Um, is that there really wasn't a lot of opportunities. House, houses and homes were smaller. And, uh, you know, we didn't really have an opportunity to go to sort of the American style open house. Um, so I learned 
a lot about how to shop for homes in a short three to four weeks because when you visualize something, like you yeah. said, on the, the iceberg, the iceberg is the picture you get on Redfin, Zillow, whatever. It always looks amazing, at least yeah. most of them. Yeah. Then you get to it, you get to inside, you know, they greet you with tea, not these days, but you just get this great feeling. And then you come home, you're like, oh, no AC? Wait a minute. This house was built in 1700, which I love. Uh, I love old homes, but I didn't realize, oh, I can't touch this. I can't renovate that. And things are breaking. Oh, now I got to fix something. And now I, I need the city, city hall's permission in order to renovate. So all of a sudden it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And the more you see, the more I realize it was such a phenomenal learning and educational experience that I really learned what I love. Uh, or, yeah. you know, in this case, you know, what my mom would love. It, very cool. Yeah. So, th so think about that. If you just, so let's say you went to Zillow and there was no picture. You would just be going by the facts, right? The text, the text and the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the information and here's all the, the square footage and the price and everything else. Then you add a picture to that and all of a sudden you have a visual of what that house looks like, right? Mm -hmm. And then you picture, all right, what do the different rooms look like? So you're almost creating it. You're actually manufacturing this home in your head, right? Your picture. Then you get there and then you say, all right, does this home fit the picture I created in my head? So then you're talking about expectations, right? So just like that with a manager, you have a picture of how you want something done. And when someone doesn't do it the way you envisioned it, right? Think about the word envision is to see something. Then there's a disconnect between expectations and reality, just like when you're looking at a house. And the other component of it is when you're in that house, you say, can I picture us actually living here, right? Where would I sit? Where would, I, would this be comfortable? What can I change? How, how would we decorate, right? Each of these is an example of visual thinking in real life. So that's the key thing, the, the, the great thing about visual leadership and visual thinking and visual communication. We already do this all the time. We think in pictures, we think in metaphors, we try to envision possibilities in the future. But with the concepts behind visual leadership, we start to do it. We have a greater awareness. And now we start to do it with more strategy and purpose, right? So mm -hmm. it's interesting how you kind of walk through that visual thinking process. And then you say, you know, can we fix this? Can I, would I be happy here, right? It's just, I was talking to someone else. Uh, Christopher Rainey has an amazing podcast called HR uh, Leaders. Uh, he interviewed me two weeks ago. He was talking about, he used to be a car salesman, right? Do you sell a car by saying, this is the horsepower and how fast it goes? Or do you sell a car by saying, picture yourself behind the wheel on the open road and the top down, the hair, the wind blowing through your hair? That's what sold cars, right? It wasn't the specs of what's under the hood. Um, and the classic example of Steve Jobs when he announced the iPod, instead of saying, hey, this device holds five gigabytes of data, he said, what? This holds a thousand songs in your pocket, Right. Non-techies don't care about gigs. They don't even know what a gig is. But if you say, wow, I can hold my entire music collection in my pocket and carry around with me, that's cool and amazing. So again, it's not the data. It's not the numbers. It's the story that the data tells. So we'll talk a lot about, you know, we're, all, we're each telling stories right now. We're painting a picture with words. Um, mm -hmm. But we're using visual thinking to do that because I'm sure the listeners or the viewers are actually envisioning in their mind's eye what we're talking about and, and coming up with their own stories and their own experiences, and their own examples. Oh yeah, I remember when I once looked at a house and you know this is what that felt like, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a great example. The house hunting is a perfect example of what, what we're talking about. So I have a question. In the book, you, the principles that you bring up are almost universal. I, we notice you going back to the Greeks and Shakespeare and you know, yeah. Da Vinci, Einstein. And I have to admit that as I think about sort of imagine being you, and then huh. you're, you're teaching at university, you're working with younger people, you're executive coaching, you're probably working with uh, you know, older people. 
uh, than, than the college kids. And I'm wondering, other than just, you know, the record scratch example of people don't know what a record is. Right. I want people, people in our, our nephews who are in their you know, 20s to 30s talk about millennials and attention span. Do you notice any kind of fundamental different ways growing up as a digital native on Snapchat, et cetera, from the students versus the executives, other than just personal difference? Are there age differences in how people process visual thinking or what they expect or how they live? Yeah, there are some. It's a good point. I mean, digital natives are used to, you know, if you're on Instagram, if you're on Facebook, you're used to visuals. You think visually, you communicate visually. And with the classic example, I just touched on it briefly, but, you know, cave drawings existed 40,000 years ago, right? People, before sure. there was the written word, who knows, maybe even the spoken word, people are drawing a buffalo and a fire on a cave wall. Today, we have emojis and emoticons, right? So if you send someone a heart or a thumbs up, everyone knows what that means, right? Sure. So we're, a lot of times I've seen people send a whole message just in emojis, right? So so that's the modern example of cave drawings. That's Egyptian hieroglyphic, hieroglyphics were pictograms, right? Before right. the alphabet evolved. So pictures going back, Chinese characters, right? You say you would know that more than I do, right? Yeah. Isn't there a visual component to, to Chinese characters in, in writing? So mm -hmm. what's interesting is there are some generational differences, um, but I think it's becoming more common and more familiar through social media and through the way we communicate now. Um, that's become kind of native. And what's interesting is at NYU, I teach in the human uh, capital management, basically HR master's program. In that program, it's about 80, 70% international and about 80% of the international students are from China, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm speaking with 25, 28-year-old females from China, from Beijing, Shanghai, they can, tend to come from the bigger cities, but really from all over. I need to think about who's my audience when I'm communicating. If I'm using a baseball analogy, I'm a huge baseball fan, that's not going to resonate with, with, with a 25-year-old female from China, right? So you try to come up with metaphors and anal analogies and examples that are more universal. It could be dance or theater. It could be nature. Nature is universal, right? So if I say, we're going to plant the seed for this idea, see what takes root, see what blossoms, and then we're going to go out on a limb because that's where the fruit is. I just use like five tree or nature metaphors Everyone gets it. But if I say that's like coming out of that idea came out of left field, or that's like, um, you know, you really hit a grand slam with, with that suggestion, or you struck out on your presentation, if you don't speak the language of baseball, you don't know what I'm talking about. So you really um, need to put yourself in the shoes of your listener, your audience, and modify the, your metaphors and examples and analogies to your audience so that it resonates with them and they get it. Mm -hmm. right, real empathy, like almost yes. visual empathy. Exactly. Yes. I love that phrase, visual empathy, definitely. And, and <clears throat> excuse me. So I, I'm curious as well, because I feel like we talk about visual uh, leadership and you mentioned in your book in, in particular that you don't have to be a CEO or senior executive to benefit from the book. And I just shared our uh, live with also the gate group because of Michael Roderick and, and, you know, Esprit for hosting all these sessions. We got to know you. Yes. And you know, I think I have two groups of people in my head. I'm going to start with the first one, which is there are a lot of coaches and mentors and, you know, in this particular group, but also kind of my community at large. And one thing I hear about how to be a good coach is one thing, but how to market yourself as a coach that's very desirable is something else. So people often talk about that you have to help your clients, potential clients, visualize where they are versus where they're going to be when they work with you. So uh, how would you say, Todd, like how could people go about this strategically, you know, copywriting on their website versus 
if we're just, you know, uh, chatting with each other at coffee break, Starbucks, like how do actually people, how could they go about breaking that down and, and get better at it? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we need to do is like, again, one of my mantras is how do you get people to see what you're saying? Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the metaphors I often use in my classes and in my workshops is uh, the, the concept of the leadership journey. And if you've watched my TED talk, I don't know if you've seen my TEDx talk yet, but I talk about the leadership journey where you have a picture from the inside of a car where the windshield represents the future, right? We're looking through the windshield out into the future. The future is only visible till you hit the horizon for as far as the eye can see, what's over the horizon is unknown, right? Because our future is unwritten. Mm -hmm. So it, you see in the picture, it's blue skies and, and clear, a clear day, but you don't know. It could be a snowstorm. It could be a detour, a detour. You don't know what's beyond what you can visibly see with the naked eye. Similarly, if you're working with a client, they can only see a certain distance. Your job as a coach is to help them see the world of possibilities ahead, right? What's over the horizon, get them to think about that. The other one other aspect of that image is the rearview mirror, right? In that rearview mirror, we don't see any cars behind us. So are we so far ahead of everyone that we've left them in the dust, or we're so far behind that we're not even in the race? Or how do we even know if we're on the right, right road, right? Also in that mirror, it reminds us, because what does a mirror do does it, it shows our reflection. We need to, as people, pull over to the side of the road and stop and reflect. We need to hit the pause button, hit the brake, and say, where am I? Um, a rearview mirror represents how we got to where we are, right? It's our past, the baggage, our successes, and our, also our failures, right? So how do we bring the past into the future, into the present, so we can learn about it so, for the future? And the dashboard represents how do you measure success, right? For every client, for whatever you do, you have metrics, performance metrics that are quantitative, measurable, but there's also qualitative metrics, right? How do you gauge, if someone says to you, oh, how was work today? Whether you say it was a great day, a good day, or a horrible day, how do you measure that? Like, what is that based on, right? So you need to figure out how you gauge how well you're doing on your leadership journey or your journey of your life, your journey of your career. So, you know, you can, you, we can keep going on. What's in the trunk? What's in the glove compartment? As a leader, when do you drive? When do you have your hands on the steering wheel, the gas, and the brake? And when do you pull over, you know, move over to the passenger seat and allow someone else to drive, right? When do you say, when do you go in the back seat and say, you're, you know, I'm here if you need me, but... Um, when do you serve as a navigator? So just that one metaphor, that one analogy of the leadership journey, each of us is on a journey, but we're all in these separate cars, all on this road together. Um, but how do you know where you're headed? Someone uh, from London or Hong Kong might say you're on the, the steering wheels on the wrong side and you're driving on the wrong side of the road, right? So we need to think about, is it, you know, culturally, how does this image translate into other cultures, right? So again, that's a long answer using a visual metaphor of explaining. So as a coach, you need to help people envision the future possibilities. You need to learn and listen to what they want, what they need, where they want to go um, and help them get there. So that's, that's what I would say is like, if you can help people see the future, then they're going to hire you to help them, um, you know, to help them get there. What do you think about? I mean, as you're thinking about whether you're a content developer, app developer, or whatever you do, it's like, how does that yeah. resonate with you? I'm I'm so glad you asked that question, Todd, because I think a lot of the times, in particular women, but men too, I'm I'm thinking about women of color, immigrants, we tend to have the tendency to not be able to share as much as we're we're comfortable or we're really ready to share. We always kind of um what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, I guess the question is about how do you authentically and more accurately help people picture where they're going or where, where they can arrive at. Because, you know, oftentimes we see things that are so hyped up 
all the time uh, on websites, on, you know, people helping other people visualize, but we know it's not realistic or were there a lot of fluff, like overnight success, you know, seven figures in a month? Like, yeah. how do you draw that line and that boundary? You know, as I was looking at your website, some of the words you were using was like, you know, it's about becoming, right? You're on a journey. We're all, it's a process, not an event, right? It's a life. It's transitions, transformations, journey. We come across challenges, obstacles, and barriers. Anything is possible, but nothing is guaranteed, right? Those are some of the words that you used as I was, you can tell I did my homework. I always I, I, do my I was homework. like uh, blown away. <laughs> yeah. So, but just, there's a great book that I love. and um, I'll talk about books in just a second, but The Art of Possibility by... Uh, by Xander. Um, do you have it? Do you know? Yeah, it? yeah, I have it right yeah. here. <laughs> so just, after just we've the, invited him on. We hope to get him on someday. Oh, really? That would be great. That would be amazing. I love it. See that? See, great, li- great minds think and read alike, right? So, <laughs> exactly. So it's all about by Rosamond and, ben, and, and Benjamin Xander. Right? So it's all about, all about possibility. It's like what you can see. And a lot of times, like you're saying, a lot of people who are not privileged, for lack of a better word, limitations on themselves. I can never do that. Or that's, I, I don't have the experience. I don't have the resources. And you, and you kind of um, put yourself in a box and you don't open up the world of possibilities. The story that he opens up with, that they open up with the classic one is um, a shoe salesman goes to Africa, right? And no one there wears shoes. One person says, oh, there's no market here. No one wears shoes. And the other person says, no one here wears shoes. There's a whole world of possibility unlimited potential, right? So it's the same world, but it's like, how do you, do you put limitations on yourself? Or do you say, hey, what's possible? And I was watching your, your, your amazing Amazon Prime show. And one of the things that Sarah Cooper says in that interview that I love, she says, yes, other people have done it, but they haven't done it the way you do it, right? That you haven't done it yet. So mm-hmm. if there are other people out there who do things around visual thinking. Dave Sibbett has a book called Visual Leaders and Visual Meetings and Visual... What that does, I could say, oh, I'm not going to write this book because it's already been done. Or I could say there's a market for it. And he just covered it from his perspective, which is more about graphic recording. I come at it from a whole different perspective because I come from an English literature major. I majored in Shakespeare and poetry. I have all these life experiences that no one else had. Bill Nye, the science guy, once said, um, you know, you're the only one who basically, you're the only one who can tell your own story, right? Everyone, you, oh, that's his exact quote is, everyone you ever will ever meet know something you don't, right? Because mm-hmm. no one's lived your life. No one has your story. No one has your experiences. So you could find a way to put your own spin on things. So you could either limit yourself saying it's been done before by Seth Godin or by this one or that one, or you could say, you know what? I learned from them and I'm going to take it my own direction and build on that. And, and so I think that's the way, if you think about reframing is a key word for me. It's like, Think about the picture. My wife and I had a painting in our house that was her mother's. And we, we liked the painting, but it didn't work on the wall. And then my wife got a new frame for it. And now we love it, right? By changing the frame, it changes the way we see that picture. And now we love something that we kind of saw the potential of, but wasn't working for us. So if you could reframe something, if you could put a new frame, your own frame around it, right? So you have this concept around visual thinking and visual leadership, but it's my frame. And it's, I'm the only one who can use that frame because it's my life and my stories, that painting is now mine. I put my own spin on it. So mm-hmm. um, those are just some ways to re- rethink things um, and not limit yourself or not say, oh, it's been done or it's been done better, right? Mm-hmm. Seth Godin said the same thing in your interview and many others, right? It's like, put your art out there into the world, just ship it. Yeah. For so long, I held back until I, you know, I was waiting for the book to be perfect. I was working on it for 10 years before I finally got a book deal and had a deadline where um, it needed to be put out there. 
Yeah, so Otherwise, you always say someday, and that someday never comes, right? I'm, I'm curious about this limitation. So for me, what you say is inescapable, right? There, I might have, I haven't thought of the examples. I haven't clarified the the names of the concepts, but and I feel like when you mention visual, audio, kinesthetic, we have some we have some kind of a shared background, whether it's neurolinguistic programming, those you know, Grinder and Bandler, those backgrounds. I when I listen to an author, I'm always curious about kind of where the edges of it are you know, where it doesn't work and different people's responses who may not be so resonant. So I'm curious, I've, I've had this discussion with people and heard people say, I don't picture things. Mm-hmm. I don't. And so I'm just curious if some, there's so many different ways to have that interaction. If somebody says to you, yeah, that's great. I, that's, I'm, I'm not a visual thinker. I don't imagine stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious how you would respond to somebody who, who felt that way or thought that way. Yeah. A lot of times I- Real life example, I was doing a workshop on storytelling for a group of 12 CEOs. That was actually, this one was 20 CEOs. And one guy said, I hate storytelling. I'm really a terrible storyteller. It doesn't work for me. And I was like, well, why do you say that? And he said, well, one time, blah, 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 blah. He told this amazing story about why he was such a terrible storyteller, right? So in everyone, we all looked at each other like, do I have to say it or are you guys going to say it? And he was like, that was an amazing story, right? So a lot of times, a similar thing is you know, drawing. A lot of times people will say, and I mentioned that, oh, I can't draw. This doesn't apply to me. Well, not, you don't have to draw. You don't have to be an artist. And the classic example is you ask a group of you know, first graders, how many of you can draw? They all raise their hand. You ask a group of business people, how many of you could draw? Very few raise their hand, right? So over those, your lifetime, have you lost your ability to draw your confidence? Or it's just not on your radar anymore, right? So um, the story I tell in the book is how when I was managing that theme park project in China, how I didn't speak the language, they didn't speak English, you know, um, I started, picked up a pen. So if we needed a hammer or a screwdriver, I just drew it and I held it up and they're like, oh, okay. And they ran to the toolbox and, and got it. Or, and that and we communicated through pictures. So it was literally like Pictionary and charades. It was like two words, sounds like this. And we were like miming and hand signals. So you may, I think for, to answer your question, Adam, when people say, oh, I'm not visual or I don't think in pictures, if you ask them enough questions and, and examples, you find, and they find that they do, right? Well, if I say to you, you wake up in the morning, right? You look at your calendar. Don't you visualize who am I meeting with? What's that meeting going to go? What do I need to bring? What do I need to say? What am I going to wear? What am I going to have for lunch? You're visualizing that, right? You're picturing, oh, should I go to the pizza place or should I go to uh, you know, the Indian restaurant, right? You're visualizing the, you know, what you're going to do. Right. So I think in your head, no matter yeah. you're directing it one way or the other. Yeah. Our brains are just wired visually. It's like, you know, babies, you know, look at their parents or look at the world. Right. So it's like we're just visual creatures. I mean, the brain science shows that. So I think for the person who says, oh, I'm not visual. My friend Mark Levine out in Maui. Hi, Mark, if you're watching. Um, he said, I'm not a visual person. He is more auditory. He is more kinesthetic. But since reading my book and having these conversations, he's becoming more visual and more visually aware and more visually literate. I love the idea of visual literacy, right? The ability to use and to decipher and to you know, think visually, it's a skill like anything else, right? So we have it to different degrees, but we could all be better at it. And it's just one more tool in your toolkit, right? Some, I say, how do you, let's say you get a piece of Ikea furniture, right? How do you put it together? Some people just like dump all the pieces out and start putting it together by feel. That's a kinesthetic learner. They learn through touch, feel, and movement. Auditory may want to you know, listen to someone explain how do you do it. A visual person like myself, I lay out all the pieces. I picture what goes with what before I even touch anything. Then I start to assemble and you make that blueprint a reality. IKEA instructions come with no text, right? It's literally, here's a diagram <laughs> with some numbers and some arrows and it's like, figure it out, right? That's basically <laughs> yeah. what life is. Life is like an IKEA piece of furniture to put together and your job is to figure it out in whatever way works for you. There's no one right way. 
You're, yeah. you're giving people choices, really. Yes. It could be a choice to avoid avoid a boss hole, which is your word from the book. Uh -huh. A choice to interact with somebody of a different age or different culture, yep. or a choice in the situation to to lead, right? To take that to take that uh, road in a different direction. Yeah. One of the things I've been talking about a lot recently, and this is I didn't write about it as much in the book because it wasn't on my radar as much. But if you look at the the uh, the rainbow eye on the color of the book. The rainbow represents diversity and innovation. So it's diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity in all its forms, right? It's like there's no one eye color that fits everyone. So we have a rainbow world with rainbow eyes. The other idea behind it, it's innovation and creativity. It's the use of color. It's the use of creativity, right? The other component is what I've been talking about lately is flipping the eye. Two ways to think about that. One way is turn the eye around. Usually when we talk about visual leadership, it's about your vision as a leader and getting it out there into the world. Flipping the eye is, first of all, using the eye as a mirror to look inward at your own belief systems. Why do I think that way? Why do I feel that way? How do these beliefs form? So it's about basically holding up a mirror to yourself. The other component of flip the eye, which is more important than ever, is looking at things from the point of view of others who are different from you, right? Whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's coronavirus in different parts of the country or the world, we need to, with empathy and compassion, look at the world through the lens of others. Walk around in their shoes like, uh, like they say in To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, Right? And so you put someone's shoes on and walk around them. You don't know what they're thinking, what they're feeling. And even if you do, you still don't know exactly, but you try to understand it as much as possible. That's what flipping the eye is all about. It's about turning it around, looking at things from other people's perspectives so you can help them make their vision a reality. So it's, as a leader, it's not just about you. It's about others and helping to, to you know, develop the next generation of leaders and helping other people's dreams come true. So that's a big theme I've been talking a lot about lately. Mm -hmm. It's super important because to be frank, at, at a very little micro level, I had that reaction when I was at the beginning of the book, when you said something like, well, it's getting people to see what you see and do what you see. And I'm like, but what if that's not good? You know, right. what, so what, what you just said right now points to that, that the process of creation is not just uh, creating the thing you've imagined, but backing up even you know, back to the circus people that, that we hang out with and interview. They have a thing called creation where for a year or two years, they figure out what, it, what is it that we're going to create? What are the parts? What are the skills? What's the mood? So it's it's a many-way process, not just come up with an idea and then force people to enact it. Exactly. Yeah, and what a lot of people don't realize about Circa's acts, like, because we've interviewed a lot of people, is there's so many iterations. So if you drew something on a, a piece of napkin and you don't like it, or if you didn't quite convey the, the message you're hoping for, then you have to really do it again and again. It's part of a, a daily practice. Like what if, Todd, I, I, I wish, I think there should be something branded after you, which is instead of making like daily journaling a, a practice, like what if you draw something? Yeah. What if, you know, instead of writing or in addition to writing three, four pages, what if you could just draw something? I was la I was smiling because uh, I wish I could find a piece of paper. My mom asked me to go to this place here in Boston called Russo's. And Russo's, even though it's run by like a, this Italian family business, it has so many kinds of Asian vegetables. We don't know why. It's her favorite place on the planet. I mean, yeah. literally, after a doctor's appointment, she could just go there and feel all better about herself. Yeah. But it came down to there's so many, um, so many vegetables that we didn't know how to really write that for me to write down that grocery list in English. So she drew every piece of vegetable. Wow like Chinese chives, Chinese bitter melon, like everything with a brush. And it was on a piece of rice paper. So that's going to be my visual for wow. Adam Cena. Uh, that's going to be my visual for this episode. I and love it that. just 
so powerful. And I, it's so funny. My mom's like, oh, and I try to take a picture. She's like, I'm an artist. That's not really my draw. I'm like, no, mm. this is immediately without Chinese or English. I understood exactly what she was trying yeah. to, to say to me. So that was my shopping list. I was so proud of it, like walking around. Uh, like, check me out. Yeah, that's you a great example. That's a great example. It's like again, words don't always translate. That may be just one way of communicating. But a picture crosses. One time I was at a, a company networking event. A big pack plays, dark, flashing lights, and I said to a couple of people, "Have you seen my wife anymore <laughs> anywhere?" And they and they said, oh, "What does she look like?" I'm like, "Well, she's about this high." And, this, and I finally took out my phone. I'm like, "This is what she looks like." They're like, "Oh yeah, she's right over there." It's <laughs> like I spent like five minutes with three people trying to explain what my wife looked like instead of just saying, "Here's the picture of her." And they're like, "Oh, isn't that her right over there?" Right. So it's the same thing with your 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 fruit and vegetable story, Faye. It's like, yeah, you could say it's kind of like this. It's about this big. It's this color. Or you can hold up a picture and say, "This is what I'm looking for." Um, yeah. Real life example. I was once in a in a restaurant, and I needed. I love I love ice, which I think is Bing in China, right? In Chinese, Bing. Bing, yeah. Bing. Uh-huh. So I remember I, someone said you sound like a pinball machine because I stopped saying Bing, Bing, Bing because I like ice, and you couldn't <laughs> ha- find ice when I was in China, right? Um, so, but I was in a restaurant, and I needed more ice in my coat, um, in my diet coke, and I said to the waiter, "Excuse me, can I have some more ice, more ice?" And they brought me a bowl of rice. Right. I said more ice. They heard more rice. So the question, that's one of the stories of my book, Ice, Rice or Mice. Has this ever happened to you? Um, Whose fault is that? Right. So one of the things to think about is the burden of communication is on you as the communicator. If you don't get what you want or need, you you can't call the other person stupid. You didn't understand. I didn't communicate that well. Now, if I had held up my glass and I said, can I have some more ice? They would have known using the non the, the nonverbal visual of pointing to my glass. They would have known, but we filter things um, because I had already had some ice, uh, some a bowl of rice. They th- thought I want another one. So again, it's the paradigm, it's the lens through which we each see the world and how we hear things. So we all have filters, what we see and what we hear. But it's our job. And if you could use a visual to communicate, you're more likely to get what you want and what you need. And for those, unlike your mother, who's an amazing artist. For the people who's like, I can't draw, take a picture, rip a picture. You know, you know, there's so many other ways to communicate visually. Uh, you know, there's lot, so many bad PowerPoint slides out there, you know, text-based, you know, the death by bullet point kind of thing. You can use physical objects. You can use sketches. This, this, you don't have to be a beautiful, amazing artist in order to communicate visually. So again, remove that ICD, I can't draw, from your vocabulary and just come up with ways of, of you know, getting mm-hmm. people to picture. I talk really fast, as you can tell. Even though I'm an extreme introvert, I talk fast and loud because I'm from New York. My wife gave me this seashell, which is, represents a snail shell to remind me to slow down like a snail. I still, it doesn't work, but I keep it on my desk as a reminder to breathe, pause, and slow down. I'm also so, from New York. I am, I, we have some similar background would be my guest. That Faye has reminded yeah. me many times. So, oh, so can we... Yeah, go ahead. Just a quick question. Seth Godin, also from New York. How, yes. how could he talk so calmly slow and like, I don't care if you're listening or not, but I know you are. Like, I, I, that's one of my favorite books behind you, Lynchpin. Um, yes, it's uh, yeah. one of my favorites. That's, I know. that's one of my go-tos that I go to all the time for inspiration, for ideas. Is You know, some books you, you read, you put up on the shelf and you never think about it again. And there's others that, the ones that, some of the ones that are facing outlet, outward, like What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. Those are the ones that are like, you know, when I need a burst of inspiration or an idea, those I, I try to keep those front and center. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, talk of Seth Godin. I mean, that's just style. That's just who he is. Um, 
you know, my brain moves a mile a minute. I'm coming up with a million ideas, examples. So I try to pack them all in. He's much more seasoned and he slows it down. He's like, you know, so I'm working towards that. Someday I hope I aspire to be more Seth Godin-like. In fact, here's a, you know, I have this. This is one of my Seth Godin inspirational quotes I keep on my desk where he says, our goal isn't to touch everyone. Our goal is to touch someone to change someone, just one person. If you get good at that, then you do 50, then you do 100, but stop worrying about everyone. Everyone doesn't matter. So I keep this on my desk because again, I'm trying to reach the world, but it's like, it's one person at a time. It's one interview, it's one conversation. So again, Seth Godin, I've been reading his daily blog posts every single day for all these years. And we, he was like, we've been emailing back and forth about my book. He didn't, I didn't get a quote from him or Adam Grant. Those are two people, but he knows about, I sent them both copies and uh, I got some really nice endorsements from people like Dan Pink, Marshall yeah. Goldsmith, Sonny Brown, some uh, really nice uh, endorsements mm-hmm. from top thought leaders out there. So that was really great. So you, awesome. You've been very uh, you know, frank about a sort of bad experiences or miss, miss chances and things like that. I think for Seth, I don't know if his speaking style is natural, but I would guess if it wasn't, he would fix it. Because there's so much about other people. If he did have a natural style, some people say being visual makes you talk fast because, you know, if a picture's worth a thousand words, you got to get those thousand words out. Yeah. But speaking of difficulty, through your kind of humility in the book, you say, well, these are classic principles, great minds through the ages. I'm just carrying them. But I'm wondering, even with that authority as an author, what do you find difficult these days? Like in this part of your journey, what's still hard for you? What's challenging for you right now? Yeah. Well, I am an extreme introvert. I am a bookworm, behind the scenes, back of the room kind of guy by nature. So for me to put my ideas out there into the world, partially due to Seth Godin's, you know, subliminal inspiration of like, you know, your work is your art. You're actually doing a disservice from holding it back. Be generous. Ship, you know, just the word ship. Ship it. Get it out there into the world. Um, Because I always, as a perfectionist procrastinator, you can wait forever until it's just right. It's never going to be just right. You know, I, I worked on this Every time I had an idea, I wrote it down. I had about 2,000, without exaggeration, 2,000 pages when I printed out all my ideas, 2,000 pages of content that I had to narrow down to a 300-page book, right? So what to leave out was harder than to decide on what to put in. But having the confidence to say, like, who am I to write a book? Who am I to do a TED Talk, which I did last year? Who am I? I you know, it's the imposter syndrome, Right. I think we all have it, unless you're really a narcissist and you're, <laughs> like you're, you're crazy. We all, you know, every semester I teach my NYU class and my Columbia class. And I'm like, who, who am I to be standing up in front of this room of graduate students telling them, you know, but, you know, I share my story of um, like with my students, I have them, they all speak within the first five minutes of the class. And I say to them, you have all spoken already within the first five minutes of our class, more than I spoke in a class in all my years of junior high school, high school, college and graduate school because I never once spoke in a class. I never once stood up in front of a class and spoke. Um, and people don't believe that because they think, oh, you must have been like the class president and captain of the basketball team and this and that. It was like, I was like, get me out of school, get me home, get me to my books and my dog. And you know, I was an athlete, but I was even too shy to try out for school teams. I actually tried out for my school baseball team and I made the final cut, but I quit because I was so terrified about being around a failure and being around other kids. And so it took me... You know, so confidence is still something, imposter syndrome is still something that um, I wrestle with. So one of the things I want to do more is start using video more, having my own uh, YouTube channel. And Mm -hmm. because every chapter of my book could be a three to five minute video, right? I could do on each chapter, right? So that's on my uh, to-do list. So uh, Faye, you're you're a role model for me in that way and what you've done and what you've accomplished. And uh, 
Um, but that's the next step in my personal development is one, having the confidence to do it. And secondly, developing the skills to do it well. I'm so glad you brought that that point, Todd. Like it pains me to have sp- spoken with a lot of authors and content creators and speakers in particular, people who are, you know, speaking for a living, getting on stage regularly. And when, the, for in your case, you have already published the book and I'm working with some of my clients who are still in the middle of writing them. And I see so many opportunities for them to elaborate, for them to build in case studies. In your case, to use your 2000 pages, which, you know, 1700 pages couldn't make it to the book. I'd yeah. suggest that many of them could just be videos. Yeah. And, you know, it, it supports your content, your ideas, and you can live stream some part of that too. Um, I would recommend if I were to do it all over again before we hit the record button uh, for my podcast, but for you, I would live stream as much content as possible. No edit because you're live streaming and yeah. then download that video. I would then edit a little bit, upload it to YouTube, um, you know, and then do the proper titling, yeah. description tags. Um, everybody should be Every, every content creator should be doing that. Yeah, yeah. Tremendous. Well, my book is finally out again after all these years of working on my new website, just, toddchurches.com, just launched last week. So I haven't even sent out the email blast yet. That's coming within the next week or two. Because um, my company is called Big Blue Gumball. We do management leadership training and executive coaching. But I kind of, with my book and with my keynote speaking, I'm kind of branching out. So I'm still running my company, but I'm building my Todd Churches and visual leadership brand now. So that's the next iteration for the next phase of my career. So with that, now that the book is done and the website has launched, the next step is to do all, everything that you're talking about. Today, is to start taking my content. In fact, like, you know, I have like folders like this. Visual leadership content, articles, interviews. Con- so these are all the. This is all the stuff that's not in the book, and I have piles more. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like every conversation generates a new idea, a new possibility. So it's like there's no shortage of content, right? It's just yeah. about what do you do it, how do you repurpose it, but also the stuff that was left on the cutting room floor. How that's that's a goldmine right there, right? So um, I think that's the key thing is for everyone write everything down just so you don't have to you know, memorize everything. Because if I had to write this book staring at a blank monitor, it wouldn't have gotten done. What I was able to do is sort through everything um, Mm -hmm. and say, all right, the hardest part was to decide, again, what to leave out, but also to have a beginning, middle, and end. What's the structure? What's the flow? That was part of the challenge too. Because the stories, I could pump out a blog post every day, but to write a book, how to have a cohesive beginning, middle, and end, Mm -hmm. that was challenging. But I had a great agent and amazing editors and they really helped me to formulate because you can't do it yourself. I mean, I mean, you can, but just to get another, you know, visual thinking, fresh set of eyes, someone who could look at it from a new perspective can hold the mirror up and ask you questions and show you things that, oh, I didn't realize that before. Or I thought this was totally clear, but you're telling me it's not. I need to tweak that, right? So that's why it's good to have a partner or an editor or someone to kind of who you trust, um, mm-hmm. who can give you some positive and, and also uh, constructive feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, separating those process. I'm not a big uh, GTD expert by any means, but that's one of the things I took from that was separating capture from the other phases, which yeah. is off the top of my head. If you try to if you try to do the sorting, it's almost like Marie Kondo too. Also, if you try to do the sorting and the editing at the same time, you try yeah. to do the uh, getting the ideas out of your head. It's slow. And, and then going back to what you said a moment ago, you know, where does phase world fit in? Where do you fit in in these sort of heroes that we have? Joy Clark, yeah. Seth Godin. Um, Chris Voss, those people, I think showing your work as the book title, which I never remember, but that idea of what you've just done, showing how you got to where you are 
that we all have these aspirational friends. And the same is true in our martial arts lives, is that people that we look up to go, okay, we're not going to, realistically not going to be those people, but that's our North Star. That's our yeah. heroes. And then what we are for some people is relatable. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, what we do, we hope that some of it is good enough that it's inspiring. Some of, of whatever we put together or achieve is good enough that people will listen and, and benefit from it. But we say, hey, you can do this. We did this. Yeah. You can do this. And then they can look at the Tony Robbinses and the, yeah. you know, the, the Salesforce, the betting offs and whoever they're yeah. high up people. But if you only look at those guys and girls, women, yeah. I think it can be uh, dispiriting. If you only yeah. look at your super high heroes, your, your Tim Ferriss and say, oh, I tried. I couldn't make it. You might give up. So we, we try to yeah. that kind of ladder up, up towards those people. Yeah, using a metaphor, it's like, I love the expression, you yeah, know, you shoot for the stars, but if you make it to the moon or Mars or Jupiter or Saturn, that's still pretty good, right? Yeah. So it's like, but yeah, I don't, aspire, I don't I, realistically, I'm not going to be Seth Godin. I'm not going to be Marshall Goldsmith. I'm not going to be Dan Pink, but it's not too bad to be a level or two beneath them or behind them, right? So like just yesterday, like as I was, you know, during my, my Feiwu phase world homework yesterday, I had an, a light bulb go off yesterday. And this was really, you know, I, I said, what do I... I have a model that's in the book called the passion skill matrix, which asks you, what are you good at? And what are you great at versus what are you not? What do you like to do, love to do, hate to do, right? When you map it out, you know, I said, I don't want to be a producer or an editor. I don't want to deal with the hardware, the software, the strategy, the marketing, or the sales. I don't want to deal with technology or scheduling of subscribers. All I want to do is show up and do my thing. I'm a content designer and deliverer. I want to have someone else do everything else. So basically invite me on, set everything up, bring the audience there and let me do my thing, right? Yeah. So it's like just that awareness. It's not, there's so many people who are ex, much, I'm never going to be a good, as good or great a podcaster as Faye, right? But you hire someone like Faye to help you do the things sure. that you can't do or you don't want to do. Like it's not worth my time and investment. I have so much content. I have so many things on my plate I want to do the things that I'm good at and I love and not, I'd rather, they say, be the best you you can be, not a second or third rate someone else. So I think that's like a, that was like a light bulb that went off yesterday is like, what am I good at? What are my strengths? And what can I outsource? And, and mm-hmm. you know, so I could do and spend, we all have limited time, right? I mean, I'm already, last night, for example, I worked until 4 a.m. and I slept like six hours till 10 a.m. I'm on, I'm a night owl by nature. Um, so I do, most of my book was written between 10 PM and 4 AM. Those are my key hours of creativity. So me. Oh yeah. It's going to yeah. be me. <laughs> yeah. But someone else may say, I got, you know, one guy I was talking to the other day, I go to bed at 9 PM every night and I'm up by four. I'm like, great. You know, but, uh, so, so I was like, Oh, are you available for a breakfast meeting? I'm like, unless you're bringing bagels to my apartment, you know, no. Um, but, you know, so learn, figure out what you're good at, what you like to do, leverage your strengths, you know, eliminate your weaknesses and limitations, but there's other, surround yourself with other people who are better than you at the things that you're not, that, but that you need to be successful. And I think that was like a real aha yesterday. It's like, if I, you know, for me to collaborate with, with other people, that's how I'm going to get my content out there mm-hmm. into the world. Because I can't do the graphics and the editing and the, you know, the professional stuff that you do. So, um, you know, who knows? We'll talk. Maybe we'll, there'll be some possibilities yeah. of partnering. Yeah, that's so exciting. Uh, yeah, so great to catch up with you, Todd, and to kind of dive really deep, you know, the opportunity we didn't have before into these two to three minute chats and, you know, meeting everyone. Yeah. So 
getting to know so much about you. And as this video is going live everywhere, as it has been for the past 50 minutes or so, uh, I've already included a link to toddchurches.com, which is your new website. The book is right there. And um, I even you know included a link so people learn how we actually went live to multiple channels all at once, which is a software I love using called Restream and very easy, completely non-technical. So um, very, very cool. So Todd, is there anything that you want to leave our audience with before we wrap up? You know, how do they find you or connect with you? Yeah, the best way is visit toddchurches.com. Check out my brand new website, which is like just went live, but hasn't officially been launched. So you'll be one of the first. Sign up for my newsletter so you can keep in touch. Let me know what you think. So that's the, the main way. Uh, secondly, link in with me. I live on LinkedIn. I have LinkedIn open all day long. So I'm always responding, commenting, sharing. Um, so that's the two main ways. And then check out my book. And uh, if you want to be a better visual leader, um, we all are visual thinkers, visual communicators, whether we realize it or not. So with that awareness, if you develop these, school, these t- tools, tips, and techniques, you'll be even more effective in getting your vision out there into the world and making your vision a reality. So, Amazing. Adam, uh, any concluding comments before yeah. we wrap up? Very cool. I, I work in that area of how do you use websites, multimedia, software, even chatbots to teach and learn and, and give access to that bigger body of work. So maybe we'll reconnect on that. That would be great. Yeah. And thanks for bringing that energy. I think when people feel a lack of energy, you've kind of told us maybe why. You know, if you're trying to do something that you're never going to be good at, or you're trying to do something that you know is not not going to be your the place to innovate. So, you know, even when you're, you're pretty upbeat in general, but even when you were talking <laughs> about that part, I can feel like the, you being energized. So I appreciate you yeah. sharing that with, with us and with the uh, everybody out there. Oh, thank you. Uh, this was a great conversation. I mean, I'm sure we could have talked for another three or four hours because we have so many uh, things in common. And, uh, and But we're all, what's interesting is we're each approaching this from a different perspective and yet almost like Venn diagrams, we all meet at the center, right? So that's a great example of like, this is not just for some people. This is really for everyone. And that's why the subtitle is Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Leadership and in Life. This is not just for managers. In fact, even my mother read the book and she said, oh, I thought it was going to be like a boring business book. And I loved every story in it. But that's my mother. So she loves everything I do. But, um, <laughs> but just to show that in, you know, in, in life, just like with your house hunting thing, um, you know, we use visual thinking all the time. But if you're aware of it, then you could be more effective and do it more efficiently and more effectively and get better mm-hmm. at it. Great. This has been wonderful, Todd. Thanks so much. And I'm going to take us offline now. Bye, guys. Thanks for having me. See you soon. We're off live. Yay. And I, yay. Good job, guys. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you for your hard work studying. And uh, (laughs) I know Daniel Pink talks about like lark versus owl. And I'm definitely an owl personality too. And everybody, and it's, and you know, Adam isn't my mom also tried to go my mom is totally owl but she's like oh chinese medicine said it's bad for you so by 11 p.m both of you know adam's asleep and my mom's like go to sleep go to sleep i'm like that helps. No. Uh, yeah uh, yeah you have to go with your own biological rhythms i've been that way since i was a little kid my whole life high school college and uh, that's just you know we all have our but dan pink i went to see when he his book when first came out, I went to his book launch event and I, at the book signing, I intentionally waited to go last. So everyone was gone. And then he signed it. We chatted. I took a selfie with him. So when, when my book was coming out, I sent him a picture of us together saying, yeah. Hey, I loved our conversation. Talk about visuals. So like, if I just said taught churches, he wouldn't have remembered my name. I sent that picture of us together holding his book 
And he, he gave me a blurb and it's on my book jacket and, and on the inside. So it's just like, that was a great example, a real life example of using visuals to make a connection and to, to get someone, uh, you know, to connect with you. So yeah, we yeah. did exactly the same, or not exactly, but a very close thing at Podcast Movement, uh, the podcaster convention we went to in Florida uh, last year, where I was like, hey, Faye, let's, let's just let's sit in the front row. Let's, let's be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> we went to each of those things, each of the presentations. We sat in the front row. Uh, we asked a real question and then we ran up afterwards. And then we even went as far as to on the show floor, grab Faye's uh, GoPro and like, hey, vendor, you know, you're here to share. Can you just share like 30 seconds, two minutes of what you're all about and went to mm. each of those people and made so many friends. Wow. You know, and then there, there was, of course, business benefit, you know, to it. But yeah. we, they remembered us. We remember them. We're still talking to them. So, yeah, just by That's physically great. being closer and, and, and piping up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's hard now because we're all living online, right? So it's like, what's the equivalent of that? Like, so I joined a number of Zoom discussion groups, one led by this guy, Peter Winnick, this thought leader guy. I was always intimidated by him in some ways. I just attended. I didn't really say anything. And then we connect. I start speaking a little more. Now he just interviewed me on his podcast. He did a one hour webinar with me last week. He promotes me to everyone. He read my book. So it's like, I was in. So again, for someone like me, who's an extreme introvert, this is so far out of my comfort zone to be self promotional and to do those things. And but you got to do it and you got to force yourself and it becomes a little easier over time. It's still, yeah. I'm still the same person, but I have to just remind myself that it's okay to do and, and, you know, and people appreciate it. So it's, I, uh, I gotta say, it's that I, I, device. you say you're an introvert and of course I believe you, but being another, frankly, intense person, it takes someone else about five seconds. So when even, <laughs> you know, one can talk about the, these words or those words, and you could say that one would be better or worse, but you you specifically Todd on zoom with somebody 15 seconds, they know if they like you or not. And they do. Mm -hmm. And they know if they want, they want to buy into the whole thing. I think that's the thing. How you stand out is you get on that video call. And after that point, it's, it's it's on or it's off. Philosopher Easy E said when it's on, then it's on. So, uh, so Todd, definitely to respect your time. uh, There's no worries at all. I can definitely help you uh, plan out YouTube a little bit more. And the fact that visual leadership with a single L could be a hashtag that you keep consistently using along with Todd Churches, along with your name as a hashtag, but also build upon that things like visual thinking, visual leadership. So you have a lot of good keywords because these are not going to be the most popular keywords on YouTube. And therefore it's kind of the second tier, uh, the most popular meaning more generic, you know, uh, coaching, leadership, these you don't want to compete. And um, Mm -hmm. that aside, second thing I thought you most likely already thought about is you are a professor, you're a teacher, so you have a lot of tools in your toolbox. What if there's a possibility for you to leverage, you know, having a some sort of not uh, one of one of a kind visual mastermind where you coach, you teach people, and then kind of force people and get into the habit of visually uh, constructive thinking, visually share and be and articulate. So it's not. It's kind of a both because now yeah. you think about using Zoom, which everybody, the whole planet is comfortable with. Mm-hmm. As part of Zoom, as you know, there's a whiteboard feature. So yes. we're, you know, worst case scenario. I mean, there are other, I think, better whiteboard features and tools that you can probably install and integrate. Um, but I, I think right now, I mean, nobody's doing that from yeah. what I can see. So I think you could do that to some of the more high C-level, C-suite people yeah. so that they have a deeper pocket Whereas, you know, that you leave your teaching with the college kids, but you could start something with a, 
with a group yeah, that could yeah. be seen. Yeah, I'm playing around with a lot of us. I definitely hashtag visual leadership as spelled, but I haven't been hashtagging my name, which I, I will start doing, which is great. And I'm creating a, a masterclass. Do you know Pick My Brain? Do you know Maxine Cunningham? I actually met her on a 747 dinner like three mm-hmm. months ago. And uh-huh. now she's launching, she's based in Vancouver and she has the website called Pick My Brain. It's in beta right now, but she's basically offering a platform for people like whether you're coaches, trainers, whatever, to post, you know, so she's creating like a theater for you to show up and basically she provides all the infrastructure and the payment plans and everything else. Wow. And she has different arrangements, but uh, she's a really great, interesting person based in Vancouver. Um, in fact, I hey. encourage her to join the gate group. She hasn't done it yet because she's been so busy. But um, that's, I think, where I'm going to la- launch my masterclass because she has the whole infrastructure set up and I just need to promote it and then, and then do it. But that's mm-hmm. my plan is to start having... Um, doing more things online because we're all living on the, like you said, in the Zoom world right now. So how do you monetize? That's something my next step is monetizing what I'm doing because right. um, all keynotes were canceled. My book signings were canceled. So all of the in-person real life events had to be canceled. So um, the next step is to um, basically create like both online and in-person and also having more passive revenue streams where things are you know out there mm-hmm. in the world, yeah. even though I'm not physically doing it. So those are some things that I'm working on right now, strategizing and and also figuring out what the best technology to use. To Very do. good to know. We're wrapping up now, we, we will come back to it, Todd, because we've been also trying to look into those business models. Briefly with like the high-end, small focused group, people will pay a lot. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. five figures a person over a period of six months to a year. Then there's sort of a next group where you're part of a special group. Maybe you get to ask questions. And then there's a confidentiality issue. People want to feel private at the high-end because right. you know, it's Stephen Shapiro that I work with. We've been turning all these knobs and seeing what we can do. The next level down, some of that sharing can become user-generated content. Mm-hmm. That's something you've been playing with. So that creates a library that people can browse through to get yeah. ideas and inspiration based on stuff that other people contribute. So you have a freshness, which just to say it drives a subscription model. Yeah. So if you want a subscription, you, you've got rolling revenue. There has to be enough stuff and there has to be fresh stuff to make people want to stay subscribed. Yeah. And also I'm expanding globally now because I'm online. So like originally 90% of my clients were in and around New York, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, some up to Boston, down to Washington and Florida. But now the whole world is your, your market, right? So you can mm-hmm. have to think there's a huge market in China, as you were talking about, Faye, for content, right? Um, yeah. And especially it's like, if you could take a course with an NYU Columbia professor um, at a frat without paying 40000 a year for tuition, but you're getting the same value and content. I think that's a pretty cool and amazing offer. You can even market that to Chinese or organizations, right? Because yeah. I know that part of your target is organizations. And believe it or not, I mean, I never knew this, these things existed, but I do travel back to China every single year with the exception of this year um, that I found out that they're spending huge money, tens of thousands of dollars to hire uh, teachers to mm. come in they used to do that only to learn English, but like professional English. These days they're doing that, you know, Six Sigma or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, what really, like how much of this are people really understanding and going to implement? But yeah. Chinese people love doing for show as well, to be honest. So it's not just whether it's effective or not. So whenever there's like American concept and you could be the leader, like yeah. visual leadership, sell it with the names and, you know, these days they don't want you to go to China. You could do it through Zoom and still collect the money. Yeah. Um, and then I think it's it's very interesting that sometimes it, this is, I'll, I'll leave you with this because recently I've been confronted as much as I love phaseworld.com. It's a journey of my own becoming. I love everything. Yeah. Uh, I spoke with a gentleman who I consider as a mentor right now, very 
who read me through Dory Clark's book and reach out to say, what you shared helped me make my multi, multi six figures. I want to thank you. I want to teach you a system free of charge. So he said, Eve, I like your work, but really, how the heck are you making money? I'm like, I am. He's like, well, this is positive deviance. Like you, your people are reaching out to you, but how reliable it is. I'm like, oh shit, it's probably not that reliable because when you feel lucky about how far you've come, yeah. like you need a system. So together we were, uh, so what I was trying to say is, YouTube is so powerful because what YouTube has done for me in the short three to four months during the pandemic, people say no love and trust. It has built everything for me. Even mm. before people got on the phone and paid me a single dime, they already love and trust me. Yeah. So when I was working with my mentor to say, what if I boldly create something? A lot of my audience are fitness entrepreneurs, mostly dancers right now, funny enough. Yeah. Uh, I, I I talked to three of them. I have another phone call coming tomorrow to say, hey, what if I can fill... What if I can fill up your class? And that's a hard thing to do because yeah. there's a lot of competition on Zoom, Zumba, dance, dance classes. When I said, I'll help you fill up the class, she's like, okay, when do we start? She yeah. didn't ask about the price. She, I said, you know, I'm not even sure if this is going to work because I, I, I need beta testers. She's like, I want to be beta. When do you want to start? I'm like, Carol, I need a week. Give me a week. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, th- I think that's, uh, we, we need to, the confrontation that I had was, what if Faye, Faye's would have taught is going to build a system yeah. that is a no-brainer or like uh, Adam's favorite film, everybody's favorite film. Um, the, what, what, what is a, a Al Pacino? Oh, Al Pacino. Godfather. A uh, oh, Godfather. The Godfather. Uh, an Godfather. offer you cannot refuse. That's the, uh, yeah. And, and then two, like Scarface, right? My wife and I watch one and two every single year. It's really, <laughs> usually around Christmas time. But I think two things. One is my nephew who's like, who's like a, Everyone thinks their kids are smart, but Nish is like super, super genius. Uh-huh. Poor guy. So in the old days, I used to work all night and sleep all day when I was younger. Now I go to bed at like 10. Faye's mother applauds me in my whatever. That's uh-huh. whatever. So since I fall asleep so early, he, the poor kid has watched the first half of Godfather 1. I fell asleep. Second half of Godfather 1 and all of Godfather 3. Which yeah. sucks. Which is shit. Um, well, I was once putting someone on by arguing that God that Godfather three was the best of the three of them, and I kept going on and on. And he thought I was insane, but I was totally putting him on yeah, because it's like on. it is so crappy. But so <laughs> one and two. Also, just on a this is more tactical, but just to put two bookmarks for you for later reference. When you go to do things in China, of course there are problems. Other than just linguistic problems, there's a you know the Great Firewall problem. So Faye's worked uh, extensively with Simalaya, which is the, or Himalaya, I guess, is, whichever is the Chinese one. Himalaya, and also Teachable. I, I've and found teachable. Uh, like corners where you can go legitimately to get your content out if there. If you just put up a website, they can't hit it. And you can't use mm. Facebook and they can't use Google. So yeah. Teachable and Faye can get into it with you later. We'll actually let you put things up in China and get paid. Yeah. yeah. For podcasting chat, too, yeah. for those situations, of course, there's an irony that it's visual, that trust that comes from being in somebody's ear. You're talking now. If somebody listened to the audio of this, they would still get value and and mm-hmm. and no warmth. So yeah. at, at those tactical levels, when you get to China, give us a shout. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the way I envision things similar to the pick my brain, which is why, again, I like Maxine. And I like, you know, you should look into what she's doing and how she's doing. But if someone said, we set up a webinar, we filled the seats, you just have to, the analogy is theater, right? You build the theater, you build the seats, you sell the tickets, and I'm your star producer, director, I come in, I'm the talent, basically, right? So if you build that, I will come, and you bring in the people and fill the seats, I'm happy to do a revenue gener- you know, revenue sharing kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, if you have the, t- you can, it would take a lot more for me to figure out how to do this, but everything from collecting money, and like you said, if you just target China, the, the, the 
potential is unbelievable to say, you know, I'm a three-time award-winning NYU professor, author, TEDx speaker, you know, get the same content that his Colombian NYU students are getting at like, you know, for X amount. Um, again, mm-hmm. it's almost like a license to print money if you have, uh, and the quality is great. The feedback I great, you know, it's great. All my students who, who end up going back to China after taking my classes, tell their friends and they're like, well, I wish I could do that too. So like just my Chinese students alone are like, you know, um, you know, people who are advocates of my work over there and they're like, you know, let, let me know if you're ever doing anything like that. So yeah. that's, that's the next step for me is uh, figuring out what's the best way to do this um, in a way that makes sense that, that I can handle technologically and, and, you know, logistically. Yeah, it, if you can uh, talk to, to as, a, as a starting point, if you could send maybe one of your lectures or one of your webinars to Adam and me, okay. just as a link, we can take a look. Uh, maybe I'll get some ideas from that, you know, whether we can break it down to create courses or something that we can package, you know, a segment of that. Maybe we can get a little promo video out of that. Just like, I, you know, we're not going to just take action right away, but I would like to kind of be nurtured by it and you can take a look. Our, our friends who are classical musicians, they've created, you know, whole sets of courses. Mm. And, oh, crazy what we have done. Yeah. Meetups and, and we just, I mean, they can tell you, we just had... In three months. Thing. She can tell you about they've, it. They've, run, they've been doing their, uh, running their competitions and company for 20 years, maybe 15. And yeah. they have an annual, not only a concert, but they also have all their fundraising event once a year at Carnegie Hall. And two weeks before that, Carnegie Hall closed down until further notice. They changed, they switched the day to September and now it's January, by the way. Mm-hmm. So they're not opening that that anytime soon. They were panicking. So I really, with Adam's support as well, we create like seven online courses for them. Wow. We've been running webinars. We just concluded last week, the first paid, what's called the Summer Piano Institute. So kids from around the world, like you said, Todd, like it's, you're not restricted to the tri-state area anymore. And then they're going to have another advanced session coming up on the 27th of July. And yesterday, we just yesterday, we did a parents uh, as musical partners webinar. Wow. It was filled. Uh, it was like 20 people, all Asian parents, thanking them. And now as a result of these webinars, right, something for you to consider, they're now dialing up to, oh, I thought you guys were just courses and content. Now they realize the four instructors from Steinway Juilliard graduates can also help their kids with college application, Mm. with, um, you know, what lower school, like middle school and high school applications, whether you should go to a conservatory or not, how do, you know, what's your repertoire for performance? It is just like... Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Like, yeah, because I do consulting, training, and coaching. I do all three of those things, right? So it could be yeah. consulting as in advice, con- coach, training as my webinars, but also a lot of my business is one-on-one executive coaching with senior leaders. And mm-hmm. the big thing right now is one of the themes uh, that everyone's hungry for is managing and leading in a post-pandemic world, right? Mm-hmm. A post-COVID world. How do you manage people and lead them when they're at home? How do you not micromanage them? How do you inspire and keep people motivated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like real life example, I did, I did this the other day. You know, this is one the model I described for my book, The Passion and Skill Matrix, right? Yeah. So I literally, so, you know, pull up a, a flip chart right here and, you know, draw it in real time and teach it as if I'm in the same room. And um, one of the things I like to be better at or like to do is like, I have my surface. To, I like to be able to draw on the screen so it comes up. And mm-hmm. I saw the post for it. What is it? Mm-hmm or something like that. Mm-hmm. that yeah, yeah. I work with. I thought that was so yeah. amazing to be able to do that and have yeah. 
So that's a technology that would work perfectly for someone like me, right? So yeah, get um, grab your um de- grab your demo seat. It's uh, Adam, one of Adam's clients, and Adam's client Stephen Shapiro knows the founder. Um, mm-hmm. so uh, uh, and then so you can get approved even sooner. Okay, all right, cool. But yeah, that's the type of thing. Like if you, yeah, if you really want to like, I'd be happy to talk about it. like just like with the the courses that you just created. That's mm-hmm. what I need is so, and the work you do is so high quality, the production values, the you know, that you're in a whole other level, you know, A well, level of because some of the other people are doing stuff but it's very amateurish or whatever. It's like to, it's like how do you do that so it looks slick and well produced? And um, because again, I don't have the skill set that would take me forever to even try to learn that, you know. So if you're willing to like partner and like take my content and my skills and what I'm good at and just basically package it. I think there'd be a lot of potential there for us to work together. Yeah, so. well, definitely take a take a look at that. And uh, and also, like, Todd, you don't need everything to be an Amazon Prime documentary, right? So for me, I, too, have my live stream unedited, which, you know, we were on. Mm-hmm. Then I have my YouTube videos with some, you know, teaser, intro, outro, but still you know, not that much money, right? Yeah. You can get your YouTube videos edited and done, you know, between 50 to to $100. And mm-hmm. And then my documentary, to be honest, is like 80,000 to 100,000 without paying myself. So you really, you can have different levels and that is social proof for people to say, wow, you know that, oh, oh, speaking of which, last but not least, do you have a speaker reel or do you have a, do you have a speaker consultant reel? Uh, Maybe it's not done. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I need to do is, uh. I have a lot of samples. I have a few, like if you go to uh, my Vimeo page, just Todd Churches at Vimeo, mm-hmm. um, you'll see samples of some of my, uh, um, some of the things. You know, my TED Talk is the main thing that people look at because that's, again, there's the, mm. there's the, so, the cre- social proof and credibility of having done a TEDx talk. I was actually yeah. supposed to do my second one in May, but it was canceled because of COVID and postponed yeah. until next uh, year. So I'll have two TEDx talks. But um, yeah, so I, even something like that, it's like I need to... Uh, Again, now now that the book is out, is taking the book to the next level. But like I said, it's like I could do you know every chapter of the book. How being a quitter can make you a winner. That's a three to five minute. I mean, each of these could be an hour or mm-hmm. or more. But just to do five minute snippets or um, the the models. Each of the models is literally like a ninety minute workshop that I teach in my classes or my webinars. So the power mm-hmm. dial, the passion skill matrix, and when you make it interactive and experiential and use the whiteboard and chat room and breakout groups. Um, mm-hmm. so I've been doing, cause I literally had 24 hours to shift from teaching my NYU class and Columbia classes on in person to online. So I literally mm-hmm. had to learn the zoom technology, but then also think about how there's certain things that we did in person translate in the zoom world and not everything's hundred percent. Some things I needed to find replacements for, but overall it was really successful and and, um, mm-hmm. you know, you tra- yeah, you can showcase really easily. I mean, this is not us trying to sell you anything. I just happened to have done a speaker reel for Natalie Nixon. You know, she she's not a current client of mine, but she reached out to say, hey, this is something I need. Uh, do you do things along that line? I'll send it to you just for okay. a laugh because you can instantly get to know someone within like, like a minute, yeah. you know? So that's super helpful. Yeah, that one's yeah. obviously very uh, on point. There's, there's two things I want to mention to Todd. One is the style will be different. But Faye produced an ad for an introduction for Barry, the really cool looking thing for ABI, Faye, that you showed uh-huh. me two versions of a couple weeks ago. It's a little different, but I feel like there's such a, oh. a similarity, Todd, where when these mm, are, you know, that one's better. Level pianist, you know, Carnegie Hall pianist teaching live on Zoom, it's very touchy feel. It's very emotional. Yeah. Kids are young, want to be supportive. We don't want to be the Russian lady hitting you with the ruler. So there's, you know, I can't draw versus I can't play the piano. Yeah. I think they're kind of similar. 
of course, the style and the music will be different, but that video that Faye is going to find is just honestly just really good. All right, great. Not insanely, yeah. Good. It's really good. This is, yeah, this is a great example. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll send it out to you right away. All right, all right. Sounds good. We, we don't have anywhere near time to get into, but I have to admit, I think about a lot when I read your book. You and I could talk down the road about just the vast breadth of what you've put in the book, even that you say that's 10% or whatever, making that discoverable. Like, uh-huh. Could you and I create something where somebody could say, okay, I need something now. You know, mm-hmm. of these, frankly, dozens to hundreds of concepts, ideas, anecdotes, give me something I can use that's relevant to me in this moment. That's not true. So Faye approaches it one way and it's good. And I sort of approach it another way, mm-hmm. software-y, but it has to be useful. How do you how do you surface those things in a way that's more than tags and, and hitting the next button? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like could it be an app? Could it be you know something where you you know look you you do a model a day or you know you oh. have a you know fifty two weeks fifty two models you do each week you do one thing and you know there's so many ways yeah the content is here and again this is just a fraction of it so repurposing it it's on the potential is unlimited and the yeah. feedback I'm getting from people. Um, it started again with friends and family, but now I got a fan letter from Singapore last week, one That's from right. Sydney, Australia. So it's nice, a number from the UK because I was on a podcast over there. So it's nice mm-hmm. that it's really resonating with people. I'm getting a lot of, uh, you know, because everyone kind of put, put your own spin on it. It really applies to whatever you do. So I think that sure. it's universal in that way. So yeah, so I'd love to you know, explore the possibility, the art of possibilities for visual. Yeah, exactly. Visual yeah, there, yes. are, there are platforms that are good for that drip stuff and we're all about what's practical. So in that case, we're like, hey, this is what people use for drip course content. We can help you do it. You can do it yourself, whichever you like better. Mm-hmm. Then for Steven, I did something which is more reference and I can show you that. Uh, people love it, but it's kind of like, that's nice. I want something more active. Something like yeah. you write about being proactive in the book. So we're currently working on something, which is just a chat bar, where you talk back and forth. You describe your problem, and it tells you, hey, have you looked at it this way? Mm-hmm. So down, it's like, when you have time, I can show you that, which is work in progress, frankly, because we want to make more money. So yeah, people look yeah. at the first thing, like, that's beautiful. I like it. Do you want to pay for it? Not really. Yeah. Uh, it's cool. Well, that, but we want, we want to, like, what can we get people to open up their wallets, like Faye and the other things, like, I want to pay you for this. Yeah. How do we generate revenue for, auth- for authorities and authors? Right. Well, that's the thing. It's like the potential, the, the number of apps and possibilities, it's, it's unlimited. So, I, and what happens is when you're overwhelmed, like, I don't know if you've Absolutely. ever read The Paradox of Choice or seen the oh, TED Talk, but short. when you have, when you have very short, when you see too, when you have too many choices, you don't do anything. You get paralyzed by indecision. And that happens to me all the time when it comes with to technology and software and things like that. So to me, it's like simplifying complexity. It's like, here's my book. How can I create a webinar and fill the seats? It's as yep. simple as that, right? So all the other things are nice to have, but what's the what's the biggest bang for the buck? Because again, I'm already working 20-hour days. And, and, and so the next step after August, I'd like to just catch my breath. I have not had a vacation in two years, so I'm just like about to explode or pass out. So I want to just slow things down. So August is just about doing some podcasts, you know, strategic planning. But then after September... Um, then I'd like to start saying, all right, what can I produce that will generate revenue? So, um, but I think there's a good time to just have this conversation and Absolutely. see what's possible and simple. And like we said, can we turn this out and get a webinar out there into the world in a couple of months? I said that that would be perfect. Yeah. So yeah. good to catch up, Todd. Yes, Faye, a thank pleasure. you so much, Adam. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to be talking to Helena in a couple of days, so I'll tell her that too.
This episode of the Face Royal podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World podcast team, our chief editor and producer, Herman Ceballos, associate producer, Adam Leffert, social media and content manager, Rose DeLeon, transcript editor, Alina Ahmidova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of Face World. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.